Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. My guest today is Laura Zizzo, the co-founder and CEO of Manifest Climate. Laura is a lawyer, a social entrepreneur, and a leading advocate helping organizations move to a low-carbon and climate-adapted future. Laura and her team at Manifest Climate have built a SaaS application for climate adaptation and risk management that uses AI and ML to help organizations tell their climate story and benchmark against best practices and focus on what matters most for their business. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks. A pleasure to be here. All right. So, you were a lawyer, maybe you still are, you may identify as a lawyer still, now a uh, uh, founder of a software company and a social entrepreneur. How did you get here? Yeah, I think once a lawyer, always kind of uh, a lawyer, or at least legally trained. And the reason I went to law school was because of climate change, really. Way back then, I, I knew that I needed to figure this out, and law and policy was probably part of it. And I ended up on uh, Bay Street, which is at a big Canadian law firm as an environmental lawyer. And I realized we didn't have climate law. I really wanted to work on climate law and I was busy doing regulatory compliance work. So I became uh, an entrepreneur at the age of 27 when I started my own law firm. And I started the first law firm in Canada focused on climate change, which made me see things a bit differently and what clients actually needed to understand about climate. So fast forward 15 years later, we realized it's actually not practicing law that organizations needed me for. They needed me to help them understand how to connect the dots, how to translate what matters about the disruption we're seeing related to climate change to their core business strategy. So we started a consulting firm and it grew really fast. We couldn't scale it with people fast enough for the need. And I remember uh, in 2018, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change came up out with that 1.5 degree report that we still hear about so much that said that we need half global emissions in the next decade. And I said, how are we going to do that? We have to align decision makers and empower them to understand this so they can make better decisions at the corporate level. And I just went all in to identifying how to support corporate decision makers, make better decisions, get the capital markets aligned with the truth about climate change. And that brought me to technology and a SaaS platform. I'm really happy to to have a team behind me at Manifest Climate that's really doing big things. Awesome. And maybe just to focus on who the decision makers are. So we've seen a lot of corporate leaders um, clearly concerned uh, about climate risk and 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 discussing those concerns, and often in, through the lens of of ESG and um, through net zero pledges, um, and we can talk kind of double click on 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 how that's going. Um, but how should leadership be thinking about this, looking at this? What are the what are the opportunities, the upsides, the risks, the watchouts? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. That's a big question. I think the biggest thing is they should be thinking about it. <laughs> so this is not um, no longer your sustainability team's problem only. 
this is everyone's problem. This is, as the World Economic Forum has pointed out for the last, you know, almost decade now, climate-related risks and opportunity are the biggest threat to the global economy. So this is not something that you do after you do your core business anymore. This is something we have to embed into everyone's core responsibility. That's why our platform and the disclosure requirements from, you know, corporate leaders, from the CFO, from the corporate secretary, they're being asked to say, what is your climate story? Um, And how are you governing this? Who's paying attention to it? How are you making sure there's actually alignment with this big market shift we're seeing? So it's not about doing good for climate change. It's about being around in a climate disrupted future because we're already seeing the inevitable policy responses coming down. Things like, you know, the banning of uh, selling internal combustion engines. So each organization that uses cars, <laughs> uses transportation, they're going to have to think about what that means for their business. How do you incorporate this climate disruption into your everyday um, world? The other stat that's really interesting, and I'd love all corporate decision makers to think about, we just saw that um, Washington Post article that said one in three Americans were impacted by extreme weather this summer. That was climate-related extreme weather, so those floods, the extreme heat, fires. That's one in three Americans. That's a lot of workers. That's a lot of workers that are working for these corporations. How are you thinking about that? Um, So it's not just ESG often thought of these extra financial considerations, right? It is core financial considerations and these trends and how you think about this. So I don't like to think of climate as a subset of ESG. I prefer to think of climate as a lens that really interacts with the E, S, and the G, and the core um, really nuts and bolts of a corporate um, everyday activities. Yeah. And Laurie, you know, you mentioned disclosure, and and I'd, I'd love your thoughts on the sum of what has gone in for, along the lines of check the box disclosure right. to actual change. And I think some much of the criticism on net zero is that there you know many of the leaders who are making these pledges aren't even going to be around uh in 2050 mm-hmm. so how do we close the gap between say and do yeah. with regard to climate risk and I, and i your point is an excellent one that not every organization that has you know climate is not just carbon Right. Many, every organization has climate risk now. So how do we how do we focus on closing the gap between what is pledged and then what the actual business practices are? Yeah, great question. Um, First, we all we do have to celebrate that people are making net zero commitments. I don't want to ever be heard of, you know, dissing that, that is great. It's just like when people have an ambition to quit smoking in 10 years or, or an ambition to, you know, lose weight, but I'm going to continue eating the chips now. Um, we need to know if we, we have a problem, we need to go on a diet. We need to quit smoking. We need to get started right away. So great to have the ambition, but we need to quickly show how we're moving towards making that decision. We can't leave it till the last moment. We've already done that. Um, The moment is now. So I think what we have to push back on whenever we hear a net zero ambition or something that doesn't actually make a change now, we have to really push for what is the change you're making now 
even though we see a 2050 timeline. Because we, it's just, you know, those analogies with quitting smoking and, and going on a diet, it just, it's just the same. So, and what do we do now? Well, we have to start making better decisions. And every decision that we make, we have to think about what does the climate lens on this look like? Can we be accelerating action towards net zero quicker through this very decision? It's not something we can put off. And the, the reason we really like the financial reporting element is if you're actually thinking about this as a strategic financial risk, it can be baked into your core risk management and cost benefit analysis in a way that becomes ingrained in the decision making within the organization. And that's what we're really pushing for with um, the regulatory alignment for TCFD in particular, which is the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosure. We often say like that is not a checkbox reporting tool to some people's chagrin, right? Because they're like, how do I do this disclosure? They're asking me about processes and governance and strategy. And that's exactly uh, why we like that reporting framework. It's not just give me a list of your greenhouse gas emissions. That is one of the 11 recommendations of this disclosure framework. But most of the disclosure framework is actually about process, right? It's about governance. It's who's in charge here. And are you treating this as the priority that it is within your organization in a way that investors feel you have a credible story? So pledges are great. Credibility is quickly um, being questioned when the pledges are not being followed up with quick change. Yes, indeed. Do you have any thoughts on Glasgow um, upcoming? And yeah. are you attending? Um, I know you've been a, a part of uh, some of the UN work in the past. Yeah. What are you, what are you, do you have any thoughts going into that? Um, I actually want to do a, a follow-up on Glasgow after it happens, but what are you, what are your okay. thoughts there, if any? Great. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about the UN system. I think it's great. Climate change is a global problem. It's going to require global action. But the existing, so I'm an international uh, environmental law scholar by training. That's what I studied in law school and did a lot of work on. And um, it's very disappointing that we haven't been able to see the action at the international level that is required. And the Paris Agreement really was a response to that. The Paris Agreement changed the way we do international environmental law. So Glasgow is a real, you know, stock taking moment about the Paris Agreement. And if anyone is under any false pretenses that we are on track to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement, they would be wrong. The um, nationally determined uh, contributions from the co uh, countries that make up the Paris Agreement has shown that if they actually meet their commitments with question if they will, based on the current trajectory, trajectory we are blowing through the Paris Agreement, a limit of a two degree rise in global temperature, and closer to a, a three, three and a half degree rise. So we know we have to up the ambition and that has to happen at Glasgow. Now, the reason that we do not do at Manifest Climate much international policy is I think that we've not connected the dots to the real actors within the economy, right? So the international you know, uh, government bodies, the environmental ministers get together at these international conferences and they make these decisions. But on the ground, the companies aren't feeling the pressure to actually change. So what we see Manifest Climate as is almost the enforcement mechanism for the Paris Agreement by empowering organizations to understand what this transition would mean for them and how they can be part of it. 
there was that missing piece between the international discussions and people doing just the same stuff. <laughs> you know, even though we have the great statements coming out from the UN saying we need urgent action, we're not seeing much urgent action. So we really need to get it down to those non-state actors that are actually the ones doing the things that need to change. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the locus of control. And, and you know, certainly in the U.S. and Canada and uh, Europe and to an extent other OECD countries, there is movement and commitment. Um, but then you... The question could easily be raised about, well, what about Saudi Aramco or Sinopac, right? So some of these state-owned entities that uh, where where there isn't pressure being applied, and and even to the extent that we could look at um, Exxon, and they've been through their own travails on this recently. Um, um, You know, there 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 may be two sets of books here, and that's what it seems like. How do you? How do you think about that? In other words, uh, you know, Exxon's being held to one standard and Saudi Aramco being held to another standard, just to use two very iconic examples, not picking on either of those two organizations. It's really interesting. Um, Two answers to that. One, Saudi Aramco is still at the Responsible Investor Conferences in the same way that Exxon is thinking about this because it's a market shift happening. So there is a regulatory pressure and that might be challenging when we have different regulatory regimes in different places. We certainly went through that in Canada over the last four years when we're thinking, what can we do with our neighbor to the south not doing as much, right? Um, and that's that argument is often heard in Canada saying, you know, we can't do it unless the U.S. does too. But I think it's a false uh, argument And I think we need to actually look at the demand side of this stuff. And we need to not make people suffer, not make these organizations suffer. We need to unlock the opportunity that just makes them potentially irrelevant if they don't change. So what I want to really focus on is not the fatalistic approach here, but the opportunistic approach here. What is the business opportunity if we do solve this, right? And how do we think about that? Um, And it's not just the oil and gas companies we should be targeting. It's the people who are using that stuff. It's like blaming the tobacco farmers um, for lung cancer, not the cigarette manufacturers. So we need to think about everyone who's selling anything that burns fossil fuels. We need to think about transitioning demand, um, changing the whole system. It's a systemic issue. And we for far too long have been putting the blame on, yes, some you know very powerful companies, but they they aren't the only uh, ones that we need to look at. No, that is a, that is an excellent point, especially on the demand side. Um, <clears throat> Laura, let's um, shift if we could to what the application, the SaaS app, does. Yeah. What does it bring together? How does it improve, um, you know, organizational attention to? Uh, climate risk and and what is it what does it do for a business? Thanks. Yeah, um, we know that every organization, big or small, all forty one thousand publicly traded companies and all the private companies, we're all going to have to go through a climate journey, just like we went through the um, digital transformation. We're going through a climate transformation where the fundamentals of business are being shifted. We're moving our energy system to a totally new energy system. We're dealing with a different climate. 
both of these things are happening at the same time and disrupting markets. So we want to be, we are the navigational guidance for organizations on that climate journey. We do that by using our machine learning to look at their public disclosures and say, what are you already saying about climate in your public reporting? And what are you actually doing through some, uh, they come onto our platform, they give us more information. We organize that information for them aligned with the task force on climate related financial disclosures so that they can tell their climate story, both, both internally to their own teams so that everyone can understand what they should be doing and externally to investors for confidence so there's continued access to capital. And we know it's not just about disclosure, it's about increasing competency within the organization. So we try to help them with some learning modules, Climate 101, TCFD 101. We also do market intelligence and peer analysis. So we just want to surface, you know, what matters for these businesses? How can they stay on top of this rapidly developing space and make sure that um, they can continue to thrive as capital markets change? And give you know so, so from a um, you know leveling up standpoint, mm-hmm. where are you seeing organizations come in? Where are they capturing the biggest opportunities immediately? What are the what are the 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 sticking points for change? Yeah, it's interesting. It's. <laughs> For us, we're starting with the building blocks of how you make decisions within organizations, right? Instead of going right to the quick fixes of do this thing to lower your greenhouse gas emissions, we're asking, you know, what matters to the organization and who's really in charge here of thinking about this? And when you ask those questions, people are actually doing more uh, about climate than they think. They're just not putting the climate lens on. They're just not connecting the dots with those things we were saying around you know, what does it mean when we, for instance, do no longer can buy an internal combustion engine for this business, but they know how to manage risk. They know how to think about uh, opportunities. So we're just helping them understand what processes already exist that they can then put the climate lens on. And that is really some low hanging fruit. Uh, my thesis has always been when you empower decision makers with the information they need to understand this, the light bulb goes on. And then we're going to see the innovation we need from the corporate sector. And we've certainly seen that, right? When senior decision lead, uh, decision makers get this information, they understand it. And I've been inspired by being in many board meetings with risk committees and um, finance committees saying, this is our problem. And that's so exciting to me when they realize, no, this is our problem. And these are insurance companies. These are real estate investment trusts. These are retail um, food manufacturers, right? They all realize, oh, climate, that's our problem. And when that is understood, we have the ability to get to the solutions we need. Um, but there is no silver bullet. It's not like here is what we're actually seeing happen. It's it's a slow and systemic change, which is sometimes unsatisfying, but hopefully we can help kind of keep people inspired that change is happening. It might be happening quicker than you think. Hmm. Well, thank you. And if I could ask you to perhaps compare and contrast um uh, and I like how you referred to us as your your neighbor to the south. Um, compare and contrast sort of the U.S. and the Canadian um, evolution on this topic and the maturity. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's a stretch um, 
you know, to think that Canada must often think they're living in the apartment above the meth lab, right? <laughs> Just to really. That's a good <laughs> one. Yeah. I've heard that. I haven't heard that one before. I've heard like sleeping beside the elephant. That is yeah. a common one that I think a former prime minister said, or like the mouse yeah. sleeping beside the elephant. But yeah, the meth lab one is. is That's Scott Galloway. I have to give him credit. Um, uh, uh, yeah. But- I, we are. So with the public disclosure, element in particular, it's so interesting because so many of the corporate actors in Canada actually have their headquarters in the U.S. So when you're asking who's responsible for the public disclosure element and putting this all together, it's the U.S. We're, we're dependent on the U.S. in a lot of ways, but we're also um, really dependent on the fossil fuel economy. So we've been thinking about this as an exposed economy quite earnestly. And there's a lot of challenges with that. But I don't think that, you know, Canada is far out ahead of the US. And in fact, you know, all around the globe, these standards are developing. And there's no matter where you're traded now, whatever stock exchange you're on, those stock exchanges are part of the movement for more climate related financial disclosure. I I certainly think that we are seeing a quick, um, I don't know, epiphany, is that the right word happening in the US on this, uh, in light of the new administration and the whole of government approach that is, is happening and thinking, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be able to ignore this anymore. So we're getting calls from Texas. We're getting calls from like the deep South in the, in the U.S. saying, how do we think about this? Our investors are asking us questions. Um, it's really exciting to see, to, and we're there to support them through the transition as well. Excellent. Excellent. Um, any final closing thoughts? Any um, predictions, your, your observation about you know, we're not going to make the Paris goal by even a lot, but any anything um, either that you're hopeful or very concerned about here in the closing minutes? Yeah, thanks for that, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this work if I wasn't optimistic. And I believe that we are going to try to save our species and we're going to change. Um, but I also do feel a little bit like most of my life I've been screaming on a sinking ship while everyone's still dancing to the band. <laughs> and now more people are coming up on uh, the top of the deck and saying, oh, this is sinking, right? So it's it's actually quite heartening. I'm more optimistic than I've ever been. I think we have to be realistic about the speed and scale of the transition we're about to experience. We're in a revolutionary moment. But if COVID has taught us anything, <laughs> I think it's taught us that we can make change like we could look at we can do things differently and we have to unlock um human potential to do things differently if we want to keep our our high high standard of living going into the future excellent laura i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and we are going to have you back with bruce simpson because that that will be an exciting episode but i really appreciate your time today and it's great to get to know you thank you thank you michael it's been my pleasure The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.